Hello and welcome to the Skytime Podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the second edition of the podcast that aims to share information and experiences within the Sky community during the COVID-19 crisis. Eventually, Skytime will morph into a celebration and promotion of all the people, places and providers that make Sky such a great place to live, work and visit. Coming up on this week's Skytime, we speak to Mark Crothall, the man with access to the highest levels of government, who's fighting a daily battle on behalf of the tourism industry. We meet Mark and Sam Crow, a couple with award-winning, multifaceted businesses fighting for their own survival. Accountant Faye McLeod unravels the complexity of the Small Business Support Fund, and Rosie Woodhouse of the Broadford Food Bank explains how we can help those in most need of support. My first guest is Mark Crothall, Chief Executive of the Scottish Tourism Alliance. He's been leading the tourism industry's campaign for vital government support. Mark, welcome to Skytime. Hi, Simon. Good morning. Now, for those who don't know the Scottish Tourism Alliance, what is it and what's its role in peacetime, as it were? Well, uh, peacetime or wartime, if this is what we call it, um, we're the overarching trade body for the uh, tourism industry in Scotland. So um, the representative voice of industry um, there to make sure that any um, issues, concerns uh, and obviously highlight the uh, the celebrations of success uh, that the industry brings about uh, to to government ministers. to ultimately influence the right policy decisions. You could never have imagined, could you, that leading a representative organisation like the the STA could take on such significance? Um, No, not at all. Um, The very early conversations of when this post was being created was just at the outset of Scotland's now previous uh, tourism strategy, and it was resulted that the purpose of the STA evolving was to act as the guardian um, of the national tourism strategy, certainly not so much in a representative role, uh, but very much uh, that was its primary undertaking. And every day is a learning day and it's very, very different. And here, I suppose, in the current climate that we're in, if ever there was a definition for the role of the organisation of what we're all about and what we're here to do, it's exactly what we're doing now. And that is being a leading body and a leading voice in, in making sure we do our very best to protect our industry and protect the businesses and all those who work in it who pay us to do so. So when did you begin to realise that coronavirus was going to cause any kind of a problem? The day we were stood in our conference this year um, in the SEC on the 4th, 5th of March, um, clearly you know things had started to un- unfold in China and um, you never know where there's been epidemics before that, uh, you know, it does impact uh, in different ways and, and significance, significant events, you know, 9-11 and all of these sort of things do ultimately have an impact. But I think um, it was when uh, one of my board directors, um, who is uh, the chief executive of Edinburgh Airport, Gordon Dewar, um, said that evening, I have to go, uh, this is going to be serious. Uh, and then all of a sudden, literally in the space of 24 to 36 hours, um, the reality started to sink in. So when lockdown happened, 
what were the first steps that you took or decisions that you made? Can you remember? I suppose what I wanted to, what we were there to do is to try and provide some clarity um, because, again, some of the messages that have come out have not always been as clear as we would have wanted, um, particularly in the case of, you know, don't go to restaurants um, and bars and pubs. Well, okay, what about hotel restaurants, bars and pubs? You know, uh, that wasn't clear. Um, there were obviously, uh, you know, the, the issues around um, events and, and large gatherings and what that, what that meant in terms of functions and weddings. And so first and foremost, as, a, as an organization, we're very tight. We always try and horizon scan as much information as possible um, that's available out there through its uh, parliamentary updates, briefings, and read fast and absorb what this means. And so to then try and translate it into... Uh, not diluting it in any way or not trying to uh, rewrite policy, but communicate it in such a way that it is, it is understood by industry. And our industry is so broad in its makeup, um, shape, size, etc. It needs to be simple and it also um, needs to be presented in what does this mean for you? Now, when Chancellor Rishi Sunak uh, announced a whole raft of measures very quickly, very early on in the crisis... Was that a process that uh, allayed fears or was that the start of um, an unravelling of the devil in the detail and <laughs> the start of really serious work for you? Well, I think allaying fears in the first instance, we needed to get those announcements. Uh, I, there was a huge amount of emotion and, and obviously grave, grave concern. Uh, many of our, our organisations, um, as you know, uh, and many particularly in Sky are you know, family-run businesses, self uh, owner operated um, and you know it's people's livelihoods as well so not knowing uh, I think was the worst uh, so when those announcements came through that there would be some there would be support and significant support made available was a huge sigh of relief and I suppose you know even for, for me personally having uh, taken some very harrowing uh, calls and you know everything from you know a bride um, who was had her wedding cancelled by a hotel had seen me on television doing an interview uh, with uh, the nine, somehow managed to get my phone number and called me up uh, absolutely desperate, you know, around um, the fact that the hotel had taken a decision to, to cancel her wedding. To the opposite end of people saying, okay, how can you get me some alcohol because I want to make sanitizer? Um, and then to, you know, obviously um, hotel owners uh, and business owners just, so so concerned about their, their the welfare of their staff and i think that was the most um telling thing that, that there wasn't any there hasn't been anyone i've spoken to who who has not put their 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 staff at the forefront of their thinking and and, and what that impact is going to be for people obviously it's their own businesses as well but the welfare of those individuals has been absolutely you know number one consideration and so um, initially the the, the scheme um, that came out, uh, the first announcements, whilst, uh, say, welcomed, uh, we then had the banking, uh, the, the announcements of the banking fund, uh, which, again, have had to be refined and there's been more development around that. And then, of course, we've had a, we have a huge number of self-employed um, workers uh, in, our, in our industry, too. But the furlough, the furlough statement was probably the biggest relief for for many but still it has it's not quite right and we're kind of pushing hard to try and get some adjustments to that to make sure we can pick up and cover um, many more people particularly those who work in a seasonal capacity you mentioned refinement and adjustments there 
you're meeting with government, Fergus Ewing, uh, the tourism minister, on a on a weekly basis. Take me inside those STA council meetings. What, what's the mood like? Um, it's changing, Simon. And actually, yesterday's meeting, um, you know, we have the best part of 35 organisations around the table uh, from the large, you know, national bodies, uh, UK Hospitality, Caravan Camping Club to, you know, the smaller groups. Um, and um, it was actually Gordon Morrison yesterday, who's the CEO of ASVA, who, who made the point that, you know, the mood um, out in the the industry is certainly shifting now to becoming much more concerned. Uh, there's a, there's worry about mental health uh, in the industry, and I suppose there's, there's frustration um, because there are answers that are unfortunately still not coming forward, uh, forthcoming in response to the uh, the requests for or recommendations to change and to make some of the adjustments that are needed to the criteria that's been set around some of the support packages. Uh, and, you know, Scotland has also operated uh, in terms of their grant dispersal in a different way to England, uh, and that's caused uh, concern and frustration and, and annoyance in some parts, rightly so, um, but it needed to be understood. So um, the, the good thing, you know, that we have and there's always, always have had with ministers, uh, and as much as many might say politicians never trust them or anything else, um, the one thing we've been very lucky with is that you know tourism is acknowledged as a huge, hugely important part of Scotland's economy, um, and as such, the relationships we've been able to nurture with cabinet secretaries has been um, absolutely superb. And with Fergus, it's no different. He, of course, has returned to being the, the tourism minister. And um, so, at the table, at a council table, a council meeting, it's one of complete honesty and transparency. The cabinet secretaries really understand. Um, why we are asking for changes and being able to evidence in you know actual specific issues um, and openly they can't fix everything but uh, we're all trying to do our best to do so. You've had many successes with uh, amendments to the job retention scheme to the small business grant fund etc 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 what are the next challenges what are the big wins that you need? The ones that we've really positioned around um, funding um, first and foremost is we are uh, pushing hard, as are our very close working colleagues, UK Hospitality, to try and get uh, grants made available for uh, properties with a rateable value above £51,000. There are many um, small independent hotels and small businesses that actually don't qualify for any grant at all. The other area, there are a huge number of um, bed and breakfast operators that are uh, council tax paying back bed and breakfast operators, you know, smaller than six bedrooms. Uh, but they are trading and going concerns as, as, as B&Bs and again, have fallen through the gap of support by not being applicable for a £10,000 grant because they're, non, they're not rates payers, um, nor are they treated as self-employed. So um, I'm confident uh, or I was pleased to hear yesterday from um, Fergus Ewing that uh, you know they recognize that in Scottish government as well and are hopeful that they may be able to bring some form of support for that particular group as well um, but equally important there are a whole raft of other you know really important parts of our tourism economy um, businesses from you know uh, the events sector, the events supplies come uh, of supply chain, to adventure operators, small businesses who trade uh, well um, and are you know key to 
you know, reasons to visit as much as the landscape is beautiful, etc., and everything else that we've got, you know, these experiences that are, are made uh, and take place in destinations are absolutely essential to attracting tourists to those areas. Um, and if you have an events company, you want to put an event on, um, and suddenly, you know, the, the marquee company or the, the guy that supplies the portaloos, for example, those businesses aren't there anymore, it becomes difficult to do that. Um, and equally, the adventure operators and things can't trade. So there's those, there's that community. Uh, and then I mentioned the self-employed earlier on as well. And a lot of our um, self-employed colleagues, you know, work in the industry maybe over a season um, and a high high season, and therefore are um, you know dependent on their their income stream. And in fact, anybody in the rural economy, in the majority, are very seasonal dependent. So protecting uh, an income stream for, for those organizations and, and individuals and so that they can then see themselves through the, um, the, the the autumn and the winter months into next year is really key. And, and the other big one is furlough. Um, and, and I, I touched on it earlier. Uh, the furlough requirement or conditions sets that um, any employee who was on the, the payroll and books and being paid um, effectively as of 28th of February um, can go on to the furlough scheme um, and we know that for a vast majority of, of, of businesses in Scotland they don't employ their staff until just after the beginning of March because they're seasonal uh, and there's a whole array of, 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 it, of, of people who are unfortunately um, not on furlough because of the qualification right now but from a furlough point of view the other the other real frustrating thing is this flexibility around um, just not being able to work. Your employer, if you're on furlough, you, you are basically restricted from working for your employer, even in a voluntary capacity. And uh, for a lot of small businesses and, and large, to be fair, um, you know, those uh, individual directors of those companies or the small businesses, they do need a maintenance of uh, a presence of, of employee, or not necessarily full-time, um, to look after their IT, the, the property security, insurance companies require presence on the property. The real, real, real big one right now, and without the overriding one, is about getting fast cash. The cash flow for business is absolutely um, dire for the majority. And even if you're putting your colleagues onto furlough, you, you still will be having to pay um, their wage until the HMRC reimburses through the scheme. And that's not going to be until the very end of April, early May. So finding that payroll is key. Looking ahead, Mark, what's the prognosis? Can anything be salvaged from this tourist season? And beyond that, what's the recovery period look like? I think that's the $60 million question, Simon. Um, obviously, you know, we hope that there will be an opportunity to get something from the summer. Um, it's certainly not looking as though um, it will be from any international source. Um, you know, we will be reliant and very, very dependent on the domestic market. There are um, also, um, I think, the sentiment and the, the confidence of, of, of um, general public today of perhaps not wanting to travel too far away from home um, and maybe be more inclined to do day trips and days out uh, into their local area and going back into the safety net of, of their home. Uh, and that may be one of the restrictions still that they put on, uh, you, we don't know. Um, and then the other big one, which uh, we mustn't underestimate, is actually the affordability and the, the liquidity of, of household incomes. You know, 
a lot of us are sitting here and either having taken um, pay cuts or, or less money um, in our in our um, coming into our household budgets. Going back to the question um, again, I think domestic will be um, certainly a recovery that we, we would hope to see um, in the early parts or latter parts of the summer. I'm not seeing much confidence or likelihood happening in July, August, possibly September. Um, and actually, I was on a call with Expedia yesterday, and um, their bookings on the, uh, at the moment for October are looking very strong um, still for Scotland, which is encouraging, um, particularly in, in up into the Highland area. So, uh, but as far as the international markets, uh, again, um, my you know the, the volume of, of, of traffic that's going to come through the airports uh, is certainly predicted to be massively down on last year, and the recovery uh, again very slow and the long-term recovery the predictions for return to 2019 ways of of revenues and things um every report and every analysis or every um authoritative body i suppose uh, a researcher is, is saying that's not going to happen until 22 23 18 months you know 18 months to two years if not longer but i think we have to be realistic and not expect to see even in our um, city centre hotels, are at occupancy levels of much more than 40 to 45 percent um, in the very early part of next year. Um, so obviously, rural economies such as Sky, that's likely to be longer, and you'll have to find a way again of getting through that that season out out of season, typically out of season months, to build some resilience or um, rethink and maybe make Sky very accessible and open to all in the winter, and actually have a very strong winter offering. Um, and actually, let's try and reverse reverse our high season. Make, maybe we should be making our, our winter season, this winter season, the high season of opportunity and, and have lots of celebration. That's some fantastic food for thought, Mark. Thank you for your time. It would be great to have you on the Skytime podcast again. Yeah, no problem. Always anytime, Simon. I'm delighted to contribute. My next guests are Sam and Mark Crow. Sam runs the old Croft House vegetarian B&B just north of Portree, along with Mark, who also runs the Sky Bike Shack in Portree. And speaking of running things, they're both instrumental in some of Sky's big annual races, like the Half Marathon. Welcome to Sky Time. Hello. Hello. Now, Sam, tell us about the, the, the B&B and how long you've been running it and uh, what you've done to the property. So this will be our... Uh... 13th year uh, of the B&B and a couple of years back we extended and put a cabin uh, in amongst it all as well so yeah it's always been busy so uh, we thought <laughs> it would be a good idea to expand a bit. And it was obviously a conscious idea to market it as a vegetarian B&B. Yes well uh, I've been vegetarian for 20 odd years maybe more and uh, actually I've been vegan for the last nine and Mark has been vegetarian for 21 years but became vegan January for January uh, so that was we were never going to have a B&B that wasn't vegetarian but I remember when we opened we weren't really sure if there would be a market for it and for like the first two weeks we didn't get any bookings um, after opening the doors we're really lucky that we have guests that we always have something sort of fundamentally in common with them they might not all be vegetarians but they've all come with um, a 
a conscious decision that they want to come to us for that reason. And so there's always a nice bit of common ground. So I, I really like our guests, actually. And Mark, the, the, the bike shack, how long have you been running that? And how, how's the business been going? For four years, uh, four seasons, I should say. So I just tripped into my fifth year of running it. So that was me wanting to do something completely different after having been an employee for 20 odd years. Um, moved here as the roads manager in 2006 and just had a desire to do something that I felt was a bit more positive. As with a lot of startup businesses, the first couple of years are about getting your business known and established. And I would say last year being my fourth full season. Last year was, was really noticeable as being busy both locally and, and visitor-wise. And is it seasonal? Are you really busy in the summer and then very quiet in the winter? Or are you able to stretch the business out across the year? Um, I have a baseline of local work that goes all through the year. Um, but as was, I would say probably something like November is the quietest time. So the weather gets uh, more dreary. People don't go out on the bike as much. And then I get a pickup for Christmas with children's stuff. Um, and then in the spring, so January, February, people start preparing for races and things and events. So there's a mountain bike race to Strathpuffer in January. There'll be a flurry of people getting bikes ready for that. And then there's normally the Etap Loch Ness at the end of April and people getting their road bikes ready for that. So it's a constant baseline of business. And then I, I, I actually remember the weekend just gone on the Saturday. It dawned on me that was last year everything suddenly started. It was the start of the Easter holidays. The weather picked up and both maintenance and hire-wise, everything went really, really busy. And that was it for the whole year. Coming into this season, life must have seemed uh, pretty good, Sam. You must have been quite optimistic. Yes, I felt like we spent the last few years building up Mark's business and we've had debt to do that. And we actually, last year was the first time that we sort of made any money. And yes, we were starting to feel like we were getting financially stable. And now that it's fair to say the rug was pulled. <laughs> I think we went into we went into last winter for the first time since I started with a, with a savings account mm. that made us feel like we were okay. Yeah. We didn't think we were going to have to watch things really carefully. And we even made the decision both in both businesses to put a bit of money back in um, to improve things, some work in the house, some work on, on websites and booking systems yeah. and getting a few things done. Yeah. So Sam, when did you first notice that things were going wrong? felt like there was a day, I think it was the 18th of March, where I felt like everything just started to fall off a cliff edge. It within the, the news and we could start to see the writing on the wall and with, within days of that the the cancellation request just started coming in uh, left right and center it was awful like every day i would open the emails and there would be another batch of people and how were those conversations i mean what were clients like with you were they demanding or were they apologetic no, actually, they were nice. Uh, I think people went into it almost, they could be quite direct at the beginning because they were looking, you know, for what they needed. But I was just honest about how it had affected our family. And they were really, our direct booking people were really lovely. Um, most of them I've managed to 
get them to change dates. I mean, how that will pan out, I don't know. But we, you know, we put some some dates in the diary for them to come later on. Some of them claimed compensation through their um, insurance, so that was okay. They were able to pay cancellation charges that we had through our direct bookings. So most of that went okay. The online travel agent bookings, I did have some arguments with some of those, but they didn't really seem to be able to understand. But going back to the online travel agents, uh, mm. did you have any bookings on non-refundable deposit terms? Yeah, yeah, but they got refunded anyway. I, I felt like it was pointless. I spent quite a few weeks arguing with people about the fact that they had non-refundable things and getting quite emotional about the conversations I was having with, with those guests. And then I may as well have not put myself through that because they all got refunded in the end anyway. So it was just taken out of my hands. But equally, this is money that you quite rightly felt, given that it was a non-refundable deposit, was <laughs> yours, part of your cash flow for the year. Yeah, yeah. When it all kicked off, I sat down and worked out how many bookings we would definitely still get the money for, and factored that out when we were trying to work out did, yeah. whether we could survive or not. And yeah, so it was a bit of a shock to see that those were taken away. I remember the dates because um, it was Friday the thirteenth. Um, <laughs> so Friday the thirteenth, we sat down at the table, did a cash flow analysis, working out we knew we could take two months mortgage holiday got the bank statement out, looked at all the direct debits we had to pay, how much we needed for food, and worked out with the savings we had left how long we could go, and arrived at some time in June. And I think for that first week and a half, it just seems like a complete spin spin cycle. Mm -hmm. um, your stomach was going through knots, your head was um, up and down, and... Um, Every day would bring a new announcement or some change that would either sort of give you hope or pull hope away. Mm. Um, Plus, we had two children that we were trying to, you know, scary for them, just the whole scenario. Uh, yes, you're, 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 you're trying not to put your stresses onto them or, or let them see your stresses too much. And Sam, how sympathetic has your, your bank been? The only contact I've had with the bank has been uh, for the mortgage uh, holiday, which has gone terribly. Um, failed to put it in place, so I had to ring back up again and took an hour and a half to get through to them. And then when I got through to them, they did eventually refund me for the first month's payment holiday. But this morning I've just got a letter saying that I'm in arrears, so obviously something's gone wrong again. Uh, it's really frustrating because you can't get hold of anybody anymore. Uh, and I understand it's difficult for them, but... Uh, it's very emotional when you receive these letters. So would I be right in saying that the prognosis for you guys is that you need this crisis to be over ASAP so you can get back to trading again in yeah. order to survive? Yeah. Well, Mark has £12,000 worth of hire bikes that he's bought for this year. We need to pay those off. Um, so we need some higher hires of bikes this year and... We need some B and B business so that we can build up some money for so that we can survive over the winter. So it's scary if it went on. Over, you know, if we had no season, then yeah. I don't know. What I, th I think as well, Simon. If, if I haven't moved here 14 years ago to work for local government, in that time with Highland Council, Highland Council being under financial pressure and one of the bigger local employers, as people have left or as reorganisations have taken place, 
the amount of people that they have employed is reduced. And I think you could look at that across the public sector. Um, so the public sector is employing less people now than it was 10, 15 years ago in Sky. On the other hand, what's happened is, is that tourism has grown yeah. quite significantly and people have been able to start up businesses and stay on the island and attract investment on the island. So more people are self-employed and more people own businesses now. So if we get to the winter months and there is no income from tourism uh, and there is no support left, there isn't any jobs for anybody to go to apply for. It's not as if people can look at alternative forms of income on mm -hmm. Sky. And so, so my fear is, is for, for, for a lot of people, a lot of us on Sky is, is how, how do we get through to the next fulsome year of tourism and, and, and go again? So what form of direct support would help you guys specifically? I think that the current self-employment system where they split it over 12 months, yeah. that, that doesn't work in a seasonal seasonal business i think it has to it, it, it has to look at how how the support fits the industry and mm. um, there has to be some understanding and i can appreciate how within the first couple of weeks two or three weeks of this happening how um, a package for everything can't be rolled out mm. however some words of comfort some yeah. words of understanding that over the course of the year that this will be looked at and nobody will be allowed. It's gone very quiet to, now. To like we, we could, There was a point where they kept saying, don't worry, we're going to come back and look at things and we'll adjust things, but that doesn't seem to be happening anymore. It feels like it's all done now and the people that have fallen through the cracks, all the seasonal businesses that need the schemes to be slightly adjusted, that that, that work isn't being done. Yeah. Maybe it is, but no one's staying. Well, hope things will uh, will change in the, the days and, and weeks ahead. But I, I mentioned at the start that you're both involved in some of the key athletic events in the Sky calendar. Um, yeah. <laughs> obviously, they've all been put on hold. Are you optimistic mm -hmm. that some of them will be able to take place at the back end of the year? Yes, we rescheduled the half marathon, which is the biggest event on Sky, and we desperately need it for the tourism, if nothing else. Uh, so that's been rescheduled to the 31st of October. And it, the Dunvegan races have been rescheduled to the 3rd of October. We also had a new event that we'd lined up and we're having to have a look at whether or not we'll be able to run that this year. So we're thinking very carefully about that. But the other two events we need to run because we've bought everything for them. So they need to go ahead and I think the island needs them anyway. There's obviously a little bit of nervousness still. 30, we went for October because we felt it was a sort of a safer period of time as we could get in terms of balancing out the weather <laughs> and the need for the event to be clear as much as possible from the likelihood of it being postponed or cancelled again. So that's that's what we're working to at the moment. Been a challenging time for the events industry and it remains so for us because we do have people come from all over the world for the Sky Half Marathon and a lot of them haven't been able to to move to the new dates so that's a, a shame but fingers crossed i think we should be able to move things okay we've lost a few sponsors along the way and we've applied for a grant to try and cover some of those costs so yeah there's a there's a threat to that area of work as well but we're trying to manage that as best as possible at the moment i think what a lot of people won't understand is that 
we work for our, the organization we work for sky events is a charity a registered mm. charity and it's it's managed to grow and build up some reserves and, and and has an element of security yeah um there are a lot of event organizations who are individuals or a few people running that that business if they have to cancel uh, they won't be able to refund everybody if they if they're forced to refund everybody then they, they will fold mm-hmm. and these are events companies that have cropped up you know over the last decade um really successful um, businesses every event will have had to spend money from mm-hmm. the day they opened entries uh, on promotion on overheads and consumables for the event road closures signs t-shirts race numbers all sorts of things yeah. water mm-hmm. and they can't get that money back that money's committed and gone and then and then the, the races so hopefully people understand and 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 will work with postponements rather than outright cancellations yeah we definitely need people to work with the postponements because cancelling an event if we had to cancel the sky half marathon it would really compromise the organization we would really struggle to survive so just crossing everything that we can make the 31st of October work. Sam and Mark, thank you very much for sharing your story and uh, I can only wish you the best of luck in the, the weeks and months ahead. Thank, thank you, you very Simon. much. We mentioned the Small Business Grant Fund earlier. It's one of a number of government schemes that may or may not help companies through the crisis. But nothing is simple in life and there's a lot to take in. So I've asked Faye McLeod, partner at Campbell Stewart McLennan Accountants, to help us through the money minefield. Faye, welcome to Skytime. Really nice to join you. Now let's start with the Small Business Grant Fund. Who's eligible for the two available grants of 10000 and 25000 The 10000 is available for uh, any small business in receipt of the Small Business Bonus Scheme or Rural Relief for rates purposes. And there's also the 25000 grant, which is available for hospitality, leisure, retail properties with a rateable value between £18,000 and £51,000. Now, that's where the thorny issue comes in, isn't it? Because there's a lot of businesses, especially in the tourism sector, that fall above that £51,000 rateable value and therefore don't qualify. That's right. It's quite an arbitrary um, limit that's been set and there will be winners and losers. Um, And unfortunately, it is the businesses that are above that level that are not eligible. So for those who do qualify, what's the process for applying? How easy is it? Um, It's actually a relatively simple and straightforward process, which has to some extent surprised me. Quite often grant applications can be quite complicated, but it shouldn't take anybody more than 10 minutes to complete. Um, It's a form that's downloaded from the council's website in whichever local authority you're situated and um, it doesn't take an awful long long time to um, complete. The main bit of information that people will have to dig out is their commercial rates um, relief number so that they can add that into the form. It's being administered by the the Highland Council. Um, When are you hearing that payments might start to hit people's bank accounts? We've actually had a number of clients this week who have received confirmation that their application's been processed and the payment released um, and that that should appear within their bank account uh, approximately three days after they've been notified 
So I would anticipate that it should be landing in people's bank account, potentially by next Tuesday, given that we're in our bank holiday weekend. So that must be bringing a huge amount of relief to a lot of your clients. It'll be a massive relief to particularly the smaller businesses for whom this will be a real lifeline to get them through the next couple of months. Now, the job retention scheme, we covered that last week, but when are you hearing that money will start to to flow into businesses that are currently paying the wages of furloughed staff? So so this is more of a worry in the sense that um, it's... It's a very welcome scheme. However, there will be a delay. And at the earliest, it looks like it's going to be June before any money is going to start to be paid out by that scheme. Um, And that's a real concern to businesses, particularly from a cash flow perspective, because they're going to be in a position of having to pay out wages when when those wages are due to be paid, um, but not having necessarily the ready facility available to pay that until the grant actually comes through in a number of months' time now. And what are your clients saying to you about this? Are, are some of them already questioning whether the furlough scheme is going to be of any use to them? It's it's a real worry for them because, um, like most employers, um, they are very responsible and feel a responsibility towards their employees and want to do best by their employees. Um, however, from a cash flow perspective, this means for, for a lot of them who have been uh, trying to avoid debt, that they will have to go to the bank and obtain cash flow facilities of some form in order to get them through the next couple of months. As an accountant, though, it must be very difficult for you if these companies want to look after their staff, they want to keep them on board. But if their cash flow is saying that they can't get through to June or whenever it is, it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep these people on, does it? It makes it very, very difficult um, for them to to do that. Um, they, they, they also have to be responsible in terms of running their own businesses. And to take on a commitment that results in them paying money out a number of months in advance of them getting that money back in, um, the maths just don't add up for a lot of the businesses. Is it possible to put a a figure or a percentage on on the number of businesses that um, are going to fall through the cracks that don't qualify for any of the schemes? It's very difficult to put a number on that. Um, There are certainly um, quite a number that won't necessarily get support or assistance. Um, And we do actually have to also remember that there will be some businesses that will still continue throughout this process um, and might not necessarily suffer too badly through um, coronavirus or the implications of what it means for most businesses. Now, the government says that uh, businesses can defer uh, VAT and income tax payments. Is that something that you're advising clients to do? Because at the end of the day, it's just pushing the problem down the road, isn't it? Yeah, again, this is what we're encouraging to do is, as clients to do is to have a better understanding of their own cash flow, um, to look at the next six months, look at what, if any, income they will have coming in, and on the basis that there's uncertainty over when the lockdown will finish, um, in that case, if there's that much uncertainty, we're saying to them, well, just assume that you have no income for the next six months, then look at what expenditure the business will incur over the next six months, and then see on the basis of month by month where the where the cash flow shortfall is going to be. And again, it's welcome that the, that the government have enabled businesses to defer tax and VAT if they wish. It just doesn't go away. So we probably would be advising clients if they can afford it 
pay it when it's due and that way you've got one less headache to worry about further down the line when we do come out of um, the, the current crisis that we're in. So it's very much understanding the cash flow. And if there are gaps in the cash flow, then that's where we would be saying to clients, well, it would be sensible for you at the moment to think about taking the deferral of VAT and tax where, where you can. And do you think that when we come through the other side of this lockdown process, there will be inevitably companies that will not survive this? I think that's probably inevitable, um, but they, these probably will be the companies and businesses that were possibly struggling anyway. Um, and this crisis ha- will probably tip them over the edge. Um, we do see from time to time the odd um, business that's hand to mouth. Um, and when something like this happens, they just don't have their own reserves or the ability just to shut down the business for a, a number of months and then think that they're going to restart again. Um, so it's inevitable that there will be some casualties um, from this whole process. Faye McLeod of Campbell Stewart McLennan, thank you. In recent years, food banks have become a sad reality of life in villages, towns and cities across the UK. That was before COVID-19, lockdown and falling family incomes. I'm joined by Rosie Woodhouse of Love Sky Photography and a volunteer at the Broadford Food Bank. Welcome to Sky Time. Hello, Simon. Thank you. Now, before lockdown, how, how busy were things at the food bank? Um, the food bank I volunteer at in the south end of Sky and Lochalsh is relatively new and we were just finding our feet. But we would see... Um, maybe six or eight bags of food parcels going out every week. And how quickly did you notice an increase in demand? Incredibly quickly. Um, there's been such a dramatic impact on on wages, earnings and on people who are isolating that's really affected and brought them into food poverty for the first time. We're now maybe seeing 10 bags of food going out a day on some occasions. Without revealing identities, obviously, what sort of stories are you hearing about how family circumstances have changed? Um, people have gone from being being employed, being quite content, um, just at the start of the season in Sky, so everybody feeling quite secure and looking forward to another really, really busy year here, to suddenly no employment, and maybe for the first time ever in their lives, no employment. People aren't sure what's happening. They don't know um, what financial safety net, if any, there is. And people maybe have had to apply for something like universal credit for the first time. That doesn't kick in for a long time. And unless people have had savings to fall back on, quite substantial savings, they are finding themselves very, very quickly in a position where they're needing to ask for help with their food. It must be incredibly difficult to make that step if you've never been in that position before to actually approach the food bank. I think it's incredibly hard. People don't like to ask. Um, people may come to us via chatting with a neighbour, through perhaps talking with a housing officer. Uh, there's a variety of routes people come to. We facilitate it by letting encouraging people to come to us through our Facebook page. So it doesn't have to be a face-to-face or a telephone conversation. They can send us a message. And I think people find that a little bit easier. But mostly what we see all the time is, I hate to ask, but... 
it used to be the case that uh, everybody had to be referred to a food bank, didn't they? So they had to go through some sort of formal process, but it's, it's much more relaxed now. Yeah, I think it is still that process with some food banks. The community food bank, Sky and Lachalsh, has always tried to take a completely non-judgmental and non-qualified approach to helping with food poverty. If somebody felt the need to come and ask, that is sufficient for us. We don't need a referral from an agency. There's no voucher scheme. There's no hoops to jump through, essentially. So you don't have any set criteria, you just take it on trust that if somebody comes to you, somebody approaches the food bank, they obviously need help and you will help them. That's exactly it, yeah. So do you think that without it, without being too alarmist, that people would be going hungry in this community? Absolutely. Um, One of the biggest impacts has been um, schools being closed. Now, they closed for a week before the Easter holidays and we've had two weeks more or less of Easter holidays now. But um, one of the key things that we see is children not being able to get a hot meal or a cooked meal. That happens already between a Thursday afternoon and a Monday afternoon with half days in the Highland area. Um, And now that's happening on a much more regular basis. People are having to provide food um, without the, the assistance that comes from school meals. And it's a bit of a perfect storm, I guess, because at the same time as your demand is rising, the actual availability of food presumably coming into the food bank is falling because people are are, are not going to the supermarket as often as they they were before. That's absolutely right. While people are not going to the supermarket, what we've seen is a massive uptake in financial donations being made to the community food bank. There have been um, several thousand pounds donated over the past few weeks, which is far, far more than we would generally expect to see. Normally we have in this community, very, very generous physical donations of foodstuffs. But now we're seeing people turning to be able to um, donate directly via our website, which has been fantastic. The support has been overwhelming. For a couple of weeks in, in the local supermarkets, the, um, there was certainly panic buying going on. People were stockpiling and there was a shortage of food on the shelves. Did that result in a shortage of, uh, of food coming to you? Yes, it does. And it's it's still impacting upon us now. Um, we haven't seen some of the real staples such as rice, oat cakes, crackers, things that we use as a substitute for bread because we don't give out fresh foods or foods with a short shelf life. Toilet roll, the classic one, completely <laughs> out of stock. <laughs> Hand sanitizers, the things that we would, might... People find expensive, like washing powders and soaps that we would like to give out. Um, It's been very hard to get hold of it sometimes. And basic things like tinned meats have been very difficult to come by too. There's a lot of people sitting around with not much to do at the moment. So um, I'm sure there'll be lots of people keen to help you out. How how can people get involved or, or what other forms of support would you like? The main way to people get directly involved with the food bank just now is if they go to our website at skyfoodbank.co.uk. Um, they can fill in a volunteer form there and one of the coordinators will get back to them and arrange to show them the food bank, show them the procedures. Um, we will also probably, as time goes on, need drivers, packers and we know there are initiatives happening around the island to um, cook waste food products as well or short life food products from the co-op and so on and distribute these out to households so those are all ways that people will be able to get involved in the coming weeks have you done any sort of planning in terms of what the situation might look like three months six months from now if the tourist season doesn't happen here 
if the tourist season doesn't happen here, I am quite scared of what things would look like in six months. Um, certainly the food bank would be able to keep providing, keep expanding, and there are um, grants coming through from government at the moment to help the food bank with that. So we're perhaps not so concerned in the sense of not being able to provide, but we are very worried about the wider societal impact that there might be. So finally, just remind us, how can people donate, whether it is food itself or, or hard cash? If they want to donate food items, um, there are donation points in the Kyle Co-op, the Broadford Co-op and the Poor Tree Co-op. And if people want to make financial donations, they can do that at www.skyfoodbank.co.uk. Rosie Woodhouse, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. And that's almost all for this second edition of the Sky Time podcast. If you have a story to tell, a subject you want covered, or a question for any of our experts, email me, simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. You can also get in touch if you'd like to sponsor or advertise on the podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stay home, and stay in touch with family, friends and neighbours. I give up.